Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Lauren Lake. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today we're joined by Dave Weatherton with the Future Directions branch from headquarters. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks everyone. Appreciate being here. Dave, when I hear Future Directions, it kind of makes me think of like Star Trek or something like super cool. I'm just wondering, is is that what you mean and, and what the core means by this or, or what's really the mission of Future Directions branch? Yeah, yeah. My, uh, my wife joked when I took the job here the first time, uh, she, she told me that I was too old to join a boy band. So Future Directions, while it does sound like something cool or futuristic or maybe a boy band, <laughs> um, is, uh, is actually the, the kind of a code name for the primarily congressional liaison um, arm of the headquarters branch. So the, the headquarters has its team called the, the Future Directions branch, and we do some congressional liaison, but we also do a number of other things besides that. And I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time talking about what else we do first and get back to the, the kind of civil works congressional liaison portion of it. In addition to that, we, we have a gentleman who works on military programs, congressional liaison, as well as um, having some uh, points of contact with individuals who do uh, the tribal affairs as well as strategic integration in the civil works program, um, bringing in how do we, how does the civil works branch tie in with the, the chief's campaign plan, for example. But as you mentioned, Aaron, you know, primarily when folks think of future directions, they think of what we do with the civil works congressional liaison. And what's really important to remember is that we don't do congressional liaison for the entire Corps of Engineers. Um, the, the headquarters itself deals primarily with professional staff on congressional committees. So those who work on the appropriation side and on the authorization side. Now, we have a, you know, a gigantic enterprise, uh, you know, over 34,000 um, individuals, civilians, and contractors who work for the Corps of Engineers, about 38 districts that do civil works across the enterprise. So those 38 districts are really independently responsible for doing their own congressional affairs. Um, you have commanders, you have senior civilians who spend a lot of time um, knowing the specific projects, knowing the relationships, and and knowing the kind of political climate within the particular regions, whether in the Pacific Northwest or maybe in Florida, your your understanding of how all that works is going to be a little bit different. It's, it's going to be different across the, the entire enterprise. Here at the headquarters, we really centralize our relationships again with the authorizers and the appropriators. So myself and our small team, about four of us in total, spend a lot of our time dealing with the annual appropriations process, helping um, the appropriators work through effects of legislation, looking at capabilities for certain programs or projects, and really helping provide information to those committees, to the committee staff, to be able to help craft their annual appropriations bills. On the other side, we also provide support to our authorizers um, in the production of the biannual, I guess biannual, a word of bill. Every, every two years since uh, 2014, um, we've had a Water Resources Development Act, a WERDA bill that, um, that our team has helped support. And so we work with, not just within our branch, but we work uh, across the headquarters with legislative council, with subject matter experts in, you know, flood risk management and water supply, uh, navigation, et cetera, to, to really help craft the, the legislation that you end up seeing. Now, uh, we provide legislative drafting services, and so we do a number of things that, that really helps um, really shape the future direction of the organization. That's, that's kind of where the, the name of the branch has come from. We're, we're a little bit more than just congressional affairs, and so that's why 
uh, we've been given the, the kind of unique name of uh, a future direction. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good way to put it. Thank you, Dave, for giving us that background. And and you mentioned the word of bills. I wanted you to talk a little bit about for our listeners who might not know what word of bills mean to the core. And also, I know that there was a draft WERDA in 2020. Do we still expect that 2020 bill to get passed? Sure, sure. That, that's a great question. Here we are, you know, coming up on December of 2020. And we're running out of a little bit of time, but um, still there's definitely time for a word of uh, bill to get uh, passed in 2020. Let me talk a little bit about that. Kind of taking it back to, to, to help the, the listeners out there who don't understand the, the function of a WERDA. Um, again, WERDA standing is being an acronym, we are acronyms, standing for the Water Resources Development Act. Um, and what, what WERDA does is provide the Corps with a set of authorizations. Now, unlike our friends over on the military side, who may be familiar with the um, NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, there's not specific appropriations tied with the core order bill. Additionally, our authorities, unless deauthorized, are, you know, will last forever. Um, you know, we still base certain authorities on the River and Harbors Act of 1910, and here we are in 2020. So what's really important about the word of bills is that um, they provide for project authorizations. So those specific projects that uh, you know you've done at the district level, your feasibility study, you've crafted a chief support, or perhaps you've done a post authorization change report where you need to um, increase the total authorized cost of that project. A word of bill will capture that information that the, the teams at the district levels have compiled to justify you know, the, the project specifically, or to identify, hey, this is why we need a specific cost increase, and send that information in a, in a nice, tidy package to our authorizers, both in the House and Senate, and they will take those in and incorporate that information as part of the word of bill. Um, a word of bill is also an opportunity for a, uh, a member, a committee, um, a committee member, the chairperson, or anyone um, in the House or the Senate to really have an impact to be able to influence the direction of the core. Something that we use in, in planning quite frequently, the uh, the three by three paradigm. Three years, three million dollars for a uh, feasibility study that has been codified within a WERDA bill. So there there are a number of different things that um, will come through a WERDA and to include more shaping the direction of policies uh, of the Corps of Engineers, giving us specific authority to do water supply um, or, or other, you know, continuing authorities programs, things like that, um, as well as specific project authorizations um, that, that, that allow us to grow our program to build the important navigation, flood management, um, ecosystem restoration projects that we implement um, across the nation. So going back to the kind of state of play where we are in 2020, Regard to word of bill, I think that there's been uh, there's been a lot of work on the existing bill. It started as a, as early as October of 2019 on, on formulating bills in, in both the House and Senate, and we we have bills that have been passed individually by the House and the Senate. And what they're doing right now is called conferencing. So the, the House and the Senate are looking at the differences uh, within their bills and trying to find good negotiating positions on what they want to include and perhaps what their members are not as interested in including. So what's interesting in having uh, the bifurcated uh, Congress that we have now, where we have the Democrats in control of the majority in the House and the Republicans in control of the majority of the Senate, you have potentially some, uh, some different uh, policy posi positions uh, between the, the House and the Senate and where they are. But 
what's always been really fantastic about WERDAs as well as um, the Annual Appropriations Act for the Corps of Engineers is that we are a bipartisan organization. Everyone can get behind um, infrastructure, uh, can get behind reducing flood risk to your community. That's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It's, you know, it's a, it's a people issue. And so we're very fortunate to be um, working within an organization that has such really strong support um, on, a, on a bipartisan basis from our elected officials. Thanks, Dave. That's a really good point. I want to go back to, like, you talked about the word of bill and, and a little bit of how language can get in there, but it, I think the legislative drafting service is kind of a unique thing that the Corps does to work with, you know, congressional members to, to get specific language in. But in addition to legislative drafting and the request from Congress to help with, but what can a district do if they have an idea um, that they want to see get implemented in a word of bill or, or an authority? Thanks, Dave. Those are really two couple good questions. Let's, let's start with legislative drafting, and that is a, a very unique service that the Corps of Engineers does provide at the request of a member. And I think that's really important for all of our listeners to remember is that a legislative drafting service is at the request of a member's office. It's not from a consultant. It's not from, you know, a, a general member of the public. And it's not something that comes in, hey, the Corps, we want to do something like that. You know, we have to be very careful about, you know, we don't lobby as an organization. Um, we, we essentially do the bidding of our um, of our congressional members. So with legislative drafting, it comes in, can come up organically as a discussion about a specific project or an ability to, to do X, Y, or Z. And, and really it kind of stems from a member's office or a specific member wanting to be able to accomplish something for which the court does not have an existing authority. So a request for legislative drafting can come in at the district level, and often they do, and we highly encourage that. Um, in your engagements um, at, at the district level with, uh, with members of Congress and, and their staff. And so when I say it has to come in from a member's office, that does include, you know, a member's staff. You don't have to get on the phone with your local elected official to necessarily request legislative drafting, although that may be fun. Working with a, a member of their staff is, is equally, it suffices. And so that legislative drafting will come in. We will, it's really important to make sure that um, it travels up through the vertical team through your division office, up into the headquarters, through usually through the regional integration teams for each division, and then comes through the future directions branch and legislative council. And so that is our role within the organization is to make sure that um, the legislative drafting, the request for legislative drafting does come through um, legislative council and is seen by the right folks at the headquarters level. And because very honestly, you could draft the best piece of legislation at the district level. It could work exactly the way you know, the member wants it to work, and you will get zero credit. But trust me, the, the moment that you draft a piece of legislation and it gets enacted and it doesn't have the effect that that member wants it to have, you will get all the recognition which you do not want. And so that's why we're here to help kind of prevent that from happening because you at the district level, um, and, and I've been there myself, do not want that recognition when that uh, piece of drafting service does not have the, the intended effect. We'll take a look at it from the headquarters perspective, make sure that the right policy folks, technical subject matter experts take a look at it and, and make sure through our legislative council that it has the exact effect that the member is seeking and we can explain very clearly what those effects are. And oftentimes, if the request for legislative drafting comes down, comes up from the from the district uh, up to the headquarters, um, we will very happily send the, the finalized package as well as any kind of you know effect statement back down to that division or district office, 
because again, you know, it's it's my personal belief that the relationships are best kept at the district level. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, as we were talking, I mean, the the, the knowledge of the projects, the knowledge of the relationships, the, the knowledge of the kind of political climate is really unique at the district level. And while here at the headquarters, obviously, we want to help, you know, with, with policy oversight and make sure that um, there's consistency in the way that the program is being implemented across the enterprise. Uh, it's not my particular desire to, you know, to have that relationship with the 535 members of Congress across the, the organization. We just don't have that kind of bandwidth up here. And so really, um, for legislative drafting, we'll, we'll send those LDS uh, requests back down and, you know, you at the district level can, can take that piece of information and call up your member um, and their staff and transmit the information and, and help work through it. And we stand ready here at the headquarters to be able to help. That's something that uh, you all are interested in. To, to kind of get to the, the second question, um, and, and I think I hit on it a little bit um, with regard to, hey, if there's a good idea, um, if there's something that's missing, what's really important is that we don't appear like we're lobbying. You know, a lot of times we'll get very passionate. You know, I spent uh, over a dozen years at a district office myself. I, I've been very passionate about projects, working as an engineer, working as a project manager, working as a larger program manager, and, you know, have a lot of good ideas. And, and very honestly, if there is something out there that, that we see as a good idea, you know, working with a non-federal sponsor, working, you know, in, in kind of having general discussions uh, with project stakeholders, that's really the best way to get to members of Congress. It, it really should not be the Corps of Engineers calling up our members, our, you know, our specific arts and congressional representatives um, as an agency and saying, hey, the Corps really needs this. That can kind of appear as a conflict of interest, kind of appear as we're lobbying for something specifically. And, and we do see that every once in a while. And, you know, it, it's going to happen. I'm sure that folks will, will have ideas. but really working through your non-federal sponsors on, on a project issue uh, and something that needs to get solved is probably the best way because then, you know, your non-federal sponsor can reach out to their, you know, to the, the member of Congress and have that conversation organically where then the member's office can call the core and say, hey, you know, I've been talking to this non-federal sponsor. They've identified this particular issue. You know, can you help me as a member of Congress come up with the best way to address this particular issue, this, you know, issue we're having with regard to the authority to, to implement a project or we really think that, um, that the Corps is missing a program to look at resiliency in, in the Great Lakes, for example, and, you know, what can you, know, what can you offer to, to help with that? And then at that point in time, it's very much the member has organically come to the Corps and we can, we can certainly help with that. Great. Thank you for those details, Dave. I really do you see how it could be difficult for you to manage at your level all those uh, relationships with congressional members? So I do think you're stressing that it's important that the district maintain those relationships and you're there to help help as needed is great. I do wonder, obviously, communication is a key component of what you do. And having so many districts out there and so many congressional members, what are some of the challenges that you face in communicating effectively with all these entities out there? I think one of the greatest challenges that we face is the, the kind of lack of predictability or getting to, a, to, to really kind of be in a reactive environment. So that's something that we've really tried to transform and revolutionize as much as we can, is trying to shift from a reactive mindset to a proactive. 
And I mean, there are, there are a number of things that we can do, but I think number one is communicating regularly, uh, you know, regularly checking in with your, your staffers at the district level for the projects, you know, that those members are interested in. And that wraps all the way up to the headquarters level where, you know, it's up to myself and my team to check in regularly with our appropriation staff or authorization staff on, on certain issues, on certain topics that are of particular interest because they, they start to get worried when they haven't heard from you in a while. Um, and so I think the, the greatest way, the, the best way to get away from a more reactive environment is to, to be proactive in our communications. Members of Congress hate to read about things in the media that we could have told them in advance. That is by far the, the greatest sin, um, is to, to read something in, in the front pages where, you know, the core did X, Y, or Z, and the, the member or the committee staffer had no clue that the core was going to come out with this position. There's absolutely no excuse for that. And I mean, that's dead stop right there. There are legislative liaisons across the organization. Um, every district has somebody who is, you know, responsible for, you know, picking up the phone and engaging with the, the member's staff, uh, with the member's offices. And I think that there's a, been traditionally, because it's so decentralized, because we have 38 different districts that do civil works programs, um, and, you know, eight different uh, regional subordinate commands, you know, eight different MSCs, it, it is decentralized. And I think there's a little bit of a lack of consistency. And I think that's something that without, you know, saying, hey, we're headquarters and we're here to help, uh, I think that there's a few things that we could do as an organization to really start to maybe kind of pull more cohesiveness um, into the uh, the information that uh, legislative liaisons have to, to work with. And I think that's something that we probably owe the headquarters level um, as an enterprise and work with our divisions and to, to work with the districts to maybe help centralize, um, you know, some best practices, some, some training materials. Uh, maybe some kind of a regular, whether it be a quarterly or semi-annual uh, type of a get-together um, where, you know, myself and my team can engage with a number of the congressional liaisons to kind of share, here, this is what's going on, this is what we see happening at the enterprise level, and, you know, are there any questions from the, from the, from the districts, from the divisions? And that's, not some, that's something we don't have right now that I'm very interested in implementing. Um, to, to all the listeners out there, um, if you see something coming out the next, you know, three, six, nine months, um, that's that's what Weddington's talking about. Is that we're we're looking to to really try and put together um, some kind of a community. Again, it doesn't have to be a formal community of practice. Some kind of a network where we can connect all the legislative liaisons because what we do is very unique and it's very important to the organization. And so I'm you know I'm very passionate about it, and think that um, we may be doing a disservice to our districts by not having some kind of a centralized network and some kind of uh, you know a forum where we can share best practices, share training materials, et cetera. So that's something I'm really excited about, um, and, and I think will hopefully help the revolution, uh, help uh, help move things uh, and become more efficient within the organization. Yeah, Dave, I really like when you talk about being a reactive organization versus proactive. And, and you know, the reality is, you know, one of my, you know, top ten fears is to, to get an email from Dave Weathington at, you know, 4.59 <laughs> on a Friday because, you know, it's like, oh, it's an emergency. Like, I got to get this thing to somebody, you know, 20 minutes ago. And, you know, but the reality is a lot of the information that we get requested at the district level in these forms of data calls and last-minute things are things that 
we really should have readily available for you already. And so talking about best practices and, and looking for ways to share information better, are you looking at any initiatives to really um, consolidate and streamline how we provide information um, both to the public and to the congressional members that is just common sense that should be out there so we can avoid some of these last second data calls? Sure, sure, Aaron, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and while I would love to tell everyone out there today that, you know, and we could get to a state where you're not going to get those emails from, from Weddington or somebody on my team at, uh, at 459 on a Friday. I, I, I wish we could get there. I, I don't think just because of the very nature of working with Congress, working with working with members, um, that, that we're going to get away from that. However, I think we can certainly reduce the, the amount of times that, uh, that happen. And, and to your point, Aaron, to, to be able to have information readily consolidated, centralized, um, and ready to go. I mean, every project should have some kind of a standard fact sheet. That we, we've been doing this long enough that there shouldn't be an issue with, you know, being able to get information like what's the benefit-cost share ratio, you know, who's a non-federal sponsor, what is, you know, what's the cost share, who, you know, and, and what's the balance to complete, you know, when's it going to be complete, when's the PPA going to be signed, et cetera, any number of issues that we ask, that we could ask for on a regular basis. That should all be consolidated, and, and I think it makes sense that the information we would share potentially with members of Congress um, and the public would, would be the same. In general, like you said, Aaron, there, there should be um, some, some consolidation of information and have all that be readily available. Yeah, thanks. So we've talked a little bit about two initiatives, I guess, a loose community of practice, maybe consolidation of information to, to help with data calls. You know, what other initiatives do you have uh, ongoing in your, your office? You know, I think in addition to that, one thing that we would like to, to really kind of emphasize and, and get a better grasp on is congressional engagements. And because there are so many engagements that happen um, across the organization, at least once, if not a couple times a year, you know, it, it's our responsibility, it's my team's responsibility to, to prep our chief of engineers and usually the, the Secretary of the Army for Civil Works for budget testimony. And a, a lot of the engagements that, that we see at the district level with members are, the, the information that is exchanged there is very valuable up at the, you know, at the headquarters level, at those senior leadership levels. I mean, you know, so for example, when out in California you have a member who's engaging on a specific project and, you know, two weeks before we go into the testimony prep, you know, the, the district commander is out there having an office call with that member, it would be great to know what was the information that was prepped to, to talk about and what was the actual results, what were the actual results of that discussion. And I think as an organization, we do two things very regularly. We prep our senior leaders for engagements like this, and we create some kind of a, and I'll use military term, XM. We, we create some kind of a summary, a notes, uh, an after action, uh, whatever it is. But those two pieces of information, I would wager, you know, my, my, my last paycheck, that anytime you have a senior leader, whether it be your district commander, your district DPM, your MSC commander, um, you know, my boss, General Graham, I'm going to be doing a read-ahead of some kind, so prepping information for him, and then I'm going to do some kind of a summary of the engagement, whether it's a, a five-line email or a formal exum, if you will. You know, we'll have some kind of documentation. And I think what will be really valuable to the organization is to have some way to standardize not what those products look like, but a standardized repository where those products could be accessed by 
anyone across the organization. Yeah, that's a great point, Dave, particularly in how we help improve our partnerships. Uh, software like that could really um, do a lot to help us engage with our partners and ensure that we're communicating the right information to folks and, and, and communicating with them effectively and and efficiently from also a, an inside the core perspective. I think you bring up an excellent point is that this is not just helpful just to the headquarters, not, you know, again, we're headquarters are here to help. It's helpful to your district. It's helpful at your district level, uh, the district commander, the senior leadership there, because they know the last time they engaged with this member, if there's a change in senior leadership, there's a change in command, you know, all that information is right there. And it's really empowering the districts to help even better their communication processes and their engagement with the members. Just have that at your fingertips look of, hey, this is the last time you met with our, you know, our member. This is the project they discussed. Oh, they asked me about this particular permit issue. Totally forgot about that, but I can really impress them and be like, hey, last time we had this discussion, you know, you asked about this permit issue. This is what's going on here. And so this is a tool that I think that while, you know, some folks may see it as, you know, the headquarters wanting to know more information being our business, that's not it. It's really how do we, embrace and, you know, improve upon our relationships with our members um, and, and other stakeholders. I think this kind of platform could be used with, you know, your partners and, the, you know, the, the dredging association folks or whomever um, a district engages with on, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that it's, this is something that our organization needs. So glad to hear that you're looking into it. And I think we have a few other folks out there who would definitely, definitely agree with this approach and, and uh, help move this along as well. And so, you know, improving partnerships is a strategic area of focus for the Civil Works Directorate. And I'm just wondering, you know, now that we're in this COVID environment and a more virtual environment, how have you been maintaining partnerships and improving your partnerships? I think that I, very honestly, I probably talk to some of my committee staffers more now than I did um, but in, in this pre kind of COVID environment, this pre telework environment, you know, uh, I think um, we've, we've done a great job as an organization um, leveraging technology. You know, there were obviously hiccups uh, the, the first couple of weeks with VPN, um, trying to figure out what platform everybody's comfortable with, whether it's MS Teams or WebEx or Skype. Um, you know, all, all those kind of growing pains would be there. You know, my my wife and her colleagues all use Zoom, and we don't even use Zoom as an organization. So, you know, there's always going to be um, some little things there. But in terms of working virtually, this has been this has been one heck of an experiment. I mean, you know, it, it's certainly unfortunate everything that's going on. Um, you know, our our kids will be uh, you know talking about how you know they grew up in the pandemic, and you know their their mom and dad will tell stories about how they uh, you know traveled uphill in the snow for 10 miles you know each direction during the pandemic, and it's going to be um, you know certainly hopefully something that we can uh, kind of look back on and learn from. And I think as an organization, um, we will have really looked at how we can work more effectively um, in a virtual environment. You know, working in congressional relations is, is a little bit unique uh, because we have members on Capitol Hill and politics by its very nature, uh, it's an in-person game. You know, you, you go out, you shake hands, you campaign, you sometimes maybe you hold rallies, I don't know. And that's how politics has traditionally been done, is, in, is an in-person, shaking hands, kissing babies uh, sort of um, realm. And so I don't think we'll get away from that completely. I, I still think that there will be value and there will be value seen in having senior leaders um, make Hill visits 
uh, you know, that's this is a huge thing that the organization has done um, in the past. Is it something that we need to do two times a year? Does everybody need to come up and do it? I, I don't know if that's the case. Is there maybe a better use of time and energy to, to have virtual calls and and do that? And I think that as a community, as a nation, we're all a little more comfortable with using uh, virtual platforms. Thanks, Dave. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, really, we basically give you a whole bunch of softball questions here, but you, you opened the door here with, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. So I really want to find out where are all these uh, political skeletons out there buried and, and what, what you want to tell us about that. <laughs> uh, there, there are not a whole lot of uh, political skeletons out there. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got fantastic relationships with our, um, with our committee staff. Uh, and I think that's been a really great thing uh, working in this job. I came in prior to being uh, the chief of the branch. I had an opportunity to work for about four or five years under the previous chief and, you know, really developed a lot of solid relationships. And that's what, and that's what this is all about is, you know, whether you're working um, in congressional relations, you're working as a project manager, you're working within a project, uh, you know, delivery team, it's about the relationships you build with your colleagues and understanding how to kind of work toward that, that mutual end goal. Well, if I was a better uh, podcast host here, I'd probably push you a little bit more on those skeletons, but, you know, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about some of the opportunities out there. I think every year you send out a note to folks saying, hey, great opportunities on the Hill. For those opportunities, what specifically are you looking for? Um, what type of people and, you know, really what benefits does that provide to the agency? Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great question. There, you know, there are opportunities that come up sometimes more regularly than than others. You know, I don't know if we have one necessarily every year. Um, it, it seems to have been that way over the past several years. So hopefully we can kind of keep a good thing going. But uh, there are often opportunities to work either on the authorizations or the appropriation side. And you know, depending on who is looking for that particular um, amount of help, and it's again. It's not something that we have as a, a standing rotation. The committee staff will come to us, say, hey, you know, we really need help because we're in the middle of cracking the word, or we, re we really need help because we're in the middle of you know, putting together a Pope's bill and our staffer uh, resigned, you know, who specializes in water issues, and so uh, we need someone from the court to really help with that. And so depending on who it is uh, that's looking for somebody from the court, there's a wide variety of experience that uh, is really probably well suited to do these details. Um, I think on the authorization side, you know, we just had a, a detailed announcement about, I think that might be what you're referencing, is that, you know, the, the committee staff was looking specifically for someone who had some kind of experience at the headquarters or on the C level. That was, that was the ask from the staff, um, not, uh, not a kind of an imposed um, restriction um, by anybody here, myself, or anyone else. So that was something that the that actual the member when, when they asked for some assistance, they they include in their letter. And and again, um, that particular um, case, and I'll just speak specifically to that, um, is on an authorizations committee, and so to, to help um, in either putting together or helping with oversight of implementation of a uh, water resources development act or WERDA. And so a lot of the skill set that comes with that um, is a breadth of core experience. Um, if you've been very uh, specialized in one particular area within the core, perhaps you may not be as well qualified as someone else who's done a number of different things. That said, it's an excellent, excellent opportunity to get exposure to how 
Um, we get our authorities how we get appropriations on an annual basis, and I think it's really um, it's very valuable to the, the kind of self-individual development of the, the person who gets selected as a detailee, as well as the information they can bring back to their district, to their organization. Great. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, and I think that's a really great opportunity uh, for folks out there to to learn a lot. And hopefully, uh, you know, when we're not in this COVID environment, uh, folks will be even more willing to take on that opportunity. I think we're about at the end of our time for today. So wanted to see if you had any last thoughts or any topics uh, we didn't touch on before we wrap up. No, thanks a lot um, for everyone's time. And I really appreciate everyone, uh, anyone who's kind of made it through this entire podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, I really enjoyed the opportunity to kind of share some knowledge with you guys today. Uh, we'd be happy to come back if you have an interest in the future. And um, if any folks out there in the organization um, have specific questions for myself or my team, please do not hesitate to, to reach out to me. The only caveat I'll give is that if you're looking me up on the global list, I am David M. and Michael Weddington. Um, with that, uh, you know, thanks again um, for, for the opportunity to speak with everyone today. Really enjoyed it and would love to come back sometime. Thanks, Dave. And thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights on future directions. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. 